Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. We've got someone very interesting with us. Earl Rose is a pianist, conductor, recording artist, and composer, an Emmy Award winner, and 14-time Emmy nominee, as well as three-time ASCAP Award winner. He's been seen and heard performing in many, many places all around the globe. Many of you have possibly seen him at the Carlisle at Bemelman's Bar. The Carlisle is the landmark hotel located at 35 East 76th Street in Manhattan. I want to give respect and appreciation to Jennifer Cook of the Carlisle for making this interview with Earl Rose a reality. And it's a great pleasure to have him here. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm curious, of the different things that you could categorize yourself as, someone who is a pianist, someone who composes, is there something that you identify most with? Well, I think the basically they're all so inter, you know, interwined together, and together it's all one. I remember reading years ago, I think when I was a student or something, what uh, Leonard Bernstein when he when he had to fill out some sort of application for his what what his profession was, and basically, and he did so many things, you know, musically, he just put musicians. So that's sort of the way I just sort of look at it. You know, you know, like you said, I compose, I conduct, I play, you know, so musician sort of covers it. And no one thing, if I'm, I find myself, if I'm working on a film project and so forth, and, you know, a lot of times when you do that, you're, you spend a lot of hours at home writing the score and everything. And that becomes very sort of lonely because you're just writing all day, all night and writing. And then, so finally, when that project ends, and you go out and perform, like say where I perform at Bemelman's at the, in the Carlisle Hotel. That's so nice to have people around, you know. So I I love the balance of both of those times. So it, it, it's it's good to balance it out. Of the variety of music that you do, there are credits that you have that are jazz, pop music. Would you say that there is a kind of music that is nearest and dearest to your heart? I think that goes with, and I've, I've, I've thought about that recently a little bit, and I think it's really funny. The type of music that I identify more with, I think, goes with what period of life you're in. I mean, there was a time in the, I guess it was in the 90s, when I had some of these, very fortunate to have some of these recording successes with a lot of R&B artists. And like Brian McKnight, Peebo Bryson, Montel Jordan. I was writing songs with all those guys in the, in the, in the nineties. And that particular time, I was just so immersed in R and B. And then, and right now I find myself immersed in a lot of classical things. I mean, you know, I'm classically trained. So I've sort of, I go to a lot of classical concerts. I was just up in Tanglewood last week listening to things. I'm working on a classical CD. So I think you just go through different phases, you know. I mean, and the other thing, for example, like when I was in, I guess, in college and high school, you know, the the Beatles were so huge. I mean, they've always been huge, but they were that was their 
time when they were, um, you know, just sort of starting and out there. And I never really, at that time, appreciated the greatness that they are. I was into my strictly classical and jazz thing. So the Beatles, yeah, I knew they were good and everything, but I never got it. Now, I totally get it. And I'm actually going to, I'm doing a, for Steinway, I'm doing a Beatles album. And every time I look at these songs, I think, my God, these are so unbelievable. The, the, this, there's a great simplicity to them that is it, it, some of these songs, you know. So I, you go through phases with these things. I think everybody, you know, I guess it's like artists, and it, and it, when you say, you know, painters, they have their periods when they're doing one type of thing or they're doing sculpture or they're doing, you know, I, I don't know. I guess it's, it's just, you just, it's a journey. Which I think is pretty cool, actually. It keeps everything really fresh. You never know what's what am I going to like next. You know, <laughs> so it's just yeah, interesting. Well, you mentioned this this Beatles project, right? And then also a classical project. Yeah. Okay, so you're a very busy man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other project, actually, I'm, I'm, I, I, and I'm starting a new, uh, new film sh shortly, which I can't really talk about, but I'm starting another film in a couple of weeks, so, so that's that's gonna keep me busy, you know. So, I did this film. They did. There was a documentary out just recently. It's still playing in a lot of cities around the country, actually, called "Always at the Carlisle." Yeah, and it's a documentary on the history of the Carlisle Hotel. George Clooney is in it, Harrison Ford is in it, Sofia Coppola, Angelica Houston, a whole bunch of people. And it's really a, a story of, it's just basically a documentary about, you know, how it got, how the hotel got built, what was the motivation behind it, and, and, and the current hotel. And I did the score to it. And the score has so many different styles of music that were needed because there are paintings in the lobby from the 16th century. So the director and I were saying, well, we should do something in that flavor. So I had to write a piece in the, the very classical field. And there's another piece where I'm using sort of like a Mozartian type of thing. And then there's stuff later on where I'm doing some close to very, you know, hip hop kind of R&B kind of stuff. And, and then there's some jazz. And so it's all over the map. That was a lot of fun to work on. The director Matthew Miele, he was—he's a great director to work with, and and so we, we had a good time doing this thing. So, I just watched that documentary last night. Ah, always at the Carlisle. Right. What did you think of it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, me too. No, I loved it. I mean, I think it gives a, a you know a flavor of the you know of the it's it, it's there's so many. Um, you, there's a lot of uniqueness to that hotel. So many other places try and be very hip, and you know they're getting this and they get you know they try and just make it so cool. But the Carlisle has maintained a certain steadiness in that area. It's not that they're old-fashioned, but they're just sort of steady, and they're not trying to be the hippest hotel on the block. And by doing that, they probably are the hippest hotel on the block. <laughs> you know, it's like. You know, it's like the it's like in the '60s and the '70s with the Rat Pack. You know, everybody tried to start to emulate them. They weren't trying to imitate anybody. The Rat, you know, Sinatra and all those guys. They were just being themselves, and by being themselves, that was being very cool. You know, so it's uh, it's interesting. You know, but the film, I'm glad you liked it because it was it was a good film. You know, so how would you describe the Carlisle to someone who had never been there? 
Carlisle is a hotel that was built in the 20s, and it's uh, it has so many different parts to it. There's a the the part where I play is Bemelman's Bar, and one of the most beautiful places you'll ever go to because the walls were painted by Ludwig Bemelman, who did all the Madeline characters, you know, for for children, the storybook, and the walls were painted by him in 1947 the manager of the hotel at that time was a very appreciative art connoisseur and decided that uh, they wanted to get this artist to paint the walls so they had him stay in the hotel and his compensation for painting the walls was he was he and his family could stay in the in the hotel and as they say in the movie the sort of a running gag was that he 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 kept on painting these things because he never wanted to leave the hotel <laughs> so so anyway but so that and then there's the the dining room and of course then you've got the cafe carla which is another entertainment venue in the hotel that features artists well bobby the noted wonderful singer pianist bobby short there played for 30 years there and uh and then eartha kid it played there barbara cook played there right now herb alpert plays there once a year with his wife lenny hall which is terrific and steve tyrell performs there they they get a whole bunch of artists that come in there so that so they keep that entertainment live entertainment thing going it's the one place in new york city that i would say has always kept live entertainment and that's an integral part of it and as a musician of course i uh, I mean, when I was in the 60s and 70s and 80s in New York City, there were a million places that had pianists. Now, you, you're you lucky if you can count five. And the irony is that all the places that don't have music, they do okay, but they don't do as well as the Carlisle, and the Carlisle has, has music. So there's something to be said about that. And then the guests that stay at the hotel range from just some of the great you know superstars of the world to people that are just coming into New York who just want to see a a wonderful place, you know. So it's 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 got a great history to it. You mentioned just a moment ago the late Bobby Short, right? Did you ever meet him? Yes, I did, and I I I didn't know him well, but we certainly knew each other, and we had numerous conversations. Uh, uh, I remember one when I was uh, working on a. I had an idea that I was going to maybe do a Victor Young album, the wonderful composer of great songs like My Foolish Heart and, 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 and Love Letters and a lot of great standards. And I wanted to learn some Victor Young songs that maybe I didn't know. So, and I knew he knew the composers very well, their output, you know, from that period. So I, we had a nice little conversation and he gave me some, some really good gems that I'd never heard of at the time and found and I loved them. You know, they're beautiful songs, some of the ones he suggested. In the documentary, you talk about performing at the Bemelman's Bar at the Carlisle there with Billy Joel. Yeah, he, he, for a period, it was really funny. He would, he would come in just on the spur of the moment and he'd sit down with me and we, we'd sort of play forehand piano and we would go through some, we had it, we had it down so that he would do this numerous times. So after a while, we saw, I sort of knew what he would do and he sort of knew what I would do. So we, we sort of worked as a, <laughs> as a joke, but a little, it's almost like a, like a two minute comedy routine. We would, you know, play like, for example, Amos Behaven or, you know, Blue Moon or something. And he would sit 
to my left and he would play for a while and then then he would take then we'd switch within the same song and I'd turn around and we without missing a beat I'd be playing the left hand side and he'd be playing the right hand side so we had the choreograph down very well it was it was really funny so when people were stunned and then he'd come in and he would just do that and then he would leave he would just come in and play for three minutes and leave and it was like it was like a Haley's Comet coming through you know <laughs> so it was a lot of fun in addition to Billy Joel, you were mentioning earlier, you said there's just so many people who you could possibly see there on any given day or night. Right. Has there been somebody that when you saw them, you just gasped? You, it was just, you were almost shocked, like, oh my gosh, that's, who was it? Oh, I mean, there, there, there are. I mean, a lot of them, you know, some, you know, a lot of them, I think, want their privacy. So I, I don't want to say, you know, I mean, that's part, that's actually part of the allure of the Carlisle is that there are people that come in there that you can't believe that are in there, but they're in a corner, but nobody bothers them. I mean, they, people know that they're there, but there's something about the place. No, don't go over. Leave them alone. Don't go over for an autograph. There's something, whereas if you were in another place, oh, look who's here. Let's go get an autograph. It never, I mean, I cannot tell you how many, I mean, we're talking major, it doesn't get bigger. Rock stars, you know, I mean, they mentioned the movie Mick Jagger comes in. Yeah, Mick Jagger comes in. Nobody bothers him. Nobody bothers him. They don't <laughs> go over to him because they know, eh, this doesn't feel right if I go over to him. So there's that, it, it sets off that, tone there's a tone to the place that makes it so that that so that they have their privacy which is obviously everybody wants privacy in this day and age where everything is so public you know so so yes there have been i mean now i can tell you one person that 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 has been in there uh recently that i that that i sort of gasped and it was just lovely was um francis ford coppola oh well and he uh he was great I mean, he, uh, he has a very wide knowledge of American popular music. So we talked about Rogers and Hart for a little while and, and, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was lovely. I mean, it was a lovely conversation, you know, so. We're joined by pianist and composer Earl Rose. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your origins. Where are you from? I'm from New York City and I, uh, I grew up in New York City and, and uh, attended the Manus College of Music here in New York, wonderful conservatory for music during college. And uh, basically, really New York all my life. I remember, you know, growing up in the, in the 60s and 70s and going to some amazing concerts at Carnegie Hall and, you know, seeing Arthur Rubinstein and Vladimir Horowitz, all these great classical artists, as well as some of the great pop artists, Lena Horne, Frank Sinatra, all these wonderful entertainers sammy davis jr you know all those people you know so that was so i very fortunate to live in new york city you know and then uh and then i basically uh you know did a lot of starting in the mid-70s i did a lot of touring around the country with concerts at the time my management was columbia artists management and they booked me many 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 cities one year in 1990 it was Irving Berlin's 100th birthday, and uh, through the uh, booking of Columbia Artists, we did it. I did a tour with a 12-piece orchestra. I was a conductor and arranged and started in the show, and it was called the Irving Berlin Century. And we played 106 cities in 17 weeks. Is that unbelievable? Wow! So 
I never been in better shape though afterwards. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> playing the piano every night, it was it was great. So so that's good. So I, a lot of concerts, and then I eventually, you know, in the mid seventies, I started writing for my first uh, television music assignment. Really, of any substance was was writing songs for Captain Kangaroo. Believe it or not, the children's show, which was a great opportunity to write songs and so forth, you know. And before that, I just a little bit before that, while I was in college, I uh, started working uh, part time for the Tonight Show, which you probably aware of that, you know. So I, I so I started working for the Tonight Show with the the band and Doc Severinsen, and and that continued for the duration of the show until it went off the air. I did it on a part time basis. I would go out to L.A. and that's that's what started getting me out to go out to L.A. Actually, uh, when they moved to L.A. from New York, I uh, I would go out there occasionally when the uh, when I was requested, and it got me sort of familiar, and that's what sort of got me into my L.A. scene. And then in the '90s, I uh, I moved there for a while for about 10, 12 years, as well as maintain the residence here in New York, and, and went back and forth quite a bit because I always love keep playing, and there are not many places in L.A. to perform like the you know like Carlisle or some of the other places that I was performing here so I always wanted to maintain that New York presence to be able to play because if you know not if I wasn't composing all the time in LA it was driving me nuts to just sit around and not be playing so I needed that constant performing thing going you know so you were mentioning at the beginning of the interview about some of the pop recordings that you have I just want to tell the listeners a few of them Every Beat of My Heart, co-written by Brian McKnight. Right. Love is a Gift, co-written by Olivia Newton-John. Which got, and Victoria Shaw, a wonderful songwriter yeah. from Nashville. Uh, that, uh, that Love with a Gift actually just got re-recorded again by Olivia Newton-John. They did a, just found out about this about three or four weeks ago. They've, they've done a, in Australia, they've done a movie on the life of Olivia Newton-John. And the woman uh, who plays her in the film, her name is Delta Goodwin, she recorded Love is a Gift again, and Olivia does it as a duet with her, and it's on a, a, on a new album of, uh, of Delta's, and it's a huge hit in Australia at the moment. I mean, I think it reached number two on the charts down there, you know, so... So it's always, you never know when you write a song if it's going to get re-recorded again, which is always wonderful, you know, which was the case actually with Every Beat of My Heart. Brian McKnight recorded it, and then about, oh, I guess about two or three years after that initial very successful record, Johnny Mathis recorded it, which was really terrific also. I mean, just terrific. So, yeah, so no, I, recordings, of, you know, and the Peebo Bryson thing, I found love. And the, the first Johnny Mathis thing I had was from the TV show Ryan's Hope. A song called Right from the Heart, which I wrote with Kathy Wakefield. And uh, that was nice. That was great. I'm hoping you can actually tell us about the co-writer, Victoria Shaw. Vic- Victoria is, is terrific. I mean, she's written so many songs with Garth Brooks, and she's a major Nashville songwriter, and she's a wonderful singer and performer, and and just a just a wonderful person, just a wonderful spirit. And she's you know she's constantly writing. She's she's smart and she produces a bit as well. You know she wrote the river, John Michael Montgomery. I guess you know uh, she, she wrote. She's written a lot of successful songs. I mean a lot of successful songs. And so we we have a we haven't worked together in a while, but uh, 
when we were doing these songs for a lot of different TV shows, we were having a, a blast. It was great. Well, what do you look for in a collaborator? What's the talents that you look for? And also as far as personality in any facet, I mean, not just co-writing songs, just if you're working for someone with, Oh, someone. you're just looking for somebody to be as interested in the project as, uh, as you are. And also someone who you feel is, is, uh, in tune with you and, you know, I mean, with that and also someone who's going to stretch you too. I mean, really, that's important also. I say that, that applies especially with, uh, sometimes with directors because, you know, you have your idea of what the music should be for a film and the director, he may have his and, you know, you got to talk that through. I've never had an issue where it's been like at loggerheads or anything, but I've been in situations where, you know, the, the, the studio may feel that, you know, they, they want a certain type of music in some particular scene and so forth. And, you know, when you're writing a film, you have to remember you're not writing a piece for yourself. You're not writing music for yourself. You're writing it's a collaboration between you, the director, and, and you know, and, and uh, so you have to be very aware of that thing. Most of the time, directors leave me alone, but, but you have to be aware that, they, you know, they have an input that's extremely, it's their movie. It's basically their movie, and you're one element of that movie, you know. So uh, your first obligation is the is the film who would you like to work with that you haven't yet uh actually there's a, a singer right now well she's been around for a little while that i just think is terrific is melody gordeaux oh yeah she is just a great singer i would love to work with her or you know write some arrangements for her or write some songs I mean, she i think she's terrific so anyway so that's that's one. One of my projects that I'm going to be doing is also talking about different projects. I have fallen in love with, I go to Spain each year to perform concerts and I've fallen in love with the music of Frederic Mampo, who's a Catalan composer. And, uh, I'm definitely going to do a, a, a matter of fact, I've already started it, a CD of, of his music, my interpretations of, he's a classical composer. But his music lends itself to some ideas that I have for improvisation. So I'm gonna, uh, I'm, and I may enlist, uh, cellists and, and some other instruments to, to, that I might write for to, uh, do arrangements of, of his music. So, I mean, um, I mean, there's, there's some wonderful musicians out there and, and I'm, we'll, we'll see who, who I end up with. You never know. Maybe I'll go to Yo-Yo Ma. You never know. He does these kind of projects. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it would be very cool. Yeah. And as for Miss Gardot, if you're listening, get in touch with Earl Rose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, it's, right now I'm playing a lot of classical music, you know, which I which I love doing, you know. So, it, it, like I said, we go through phases, you know. So. Who would you say your favorite piano players are? Uh, in the classical world, I would say that Horowitz, Rubinstein, I love, uh, Martha Augerich. I think she's amazing. I think, uh, Alicia de la Rocha's playing was magnificent. Catalan pianist who died several years ago, but wonderful creative artist. So beautiful. She would play Spanish repertoire, especially speaking of Mampo, she would play his repertoire. Just gorgeous. And then in the jazz world, I would say Oscar Peterson and, and, uh, 
Bill Evans and Andre Previn and uh, those those would be the ones that uh, you know and some of the lesser known ones that are just giants of Tommy Flanagan, Barry Harris, some of those guys are just amazing. Would it be possible for you to describe the typical New Yorker? The typical New Yorker? Yeah. Well, that's a good question because it. I, it, I was just the other day. I was on the subway, and I was thinking that that actually question. What now? The typical New Yorker is so different from the typical New Yorker of fifteen, twenty years ago, because this city is is now such a. It's a world city. I mean, it always was, but now it really is a world city. I mean, you could hear so many languages. You go on a New York City subway, you could hear so many language languages, you wouldn't believe it. It's unbelievable. So, so the typical New Yorker now is a citizen of the world. That's what I would say. <laughs> That's really what I would say, because <laughs> it's 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 no longer uh, you know your '60s madman image. You know what I mean? It, it's a citizen of the world from every part of the world that you could possibly imagine you will find somebody here so that that you know that's what uh, that would be my description what are you most proud of um i would say that uh, this maybe that i'm able to after being a musician all my life and never luckily having to do something else that I've been able to do that and to to do that. And I'm also proud of the fact that I know I, I feel very touched when I know that people are, that I have, my music has uh, made an impact on them. Uh, I mean, I, the, the, just last night, give me an example, a couple came in, I was playing last night at the Carlisle and a couple came in and, and uh, when I took my break, they, they said, we just want to tell you, we've been watching you coming here for eight years. And I re recognized them. I didn't really, I don't think I'd ever really had any conversations with them. And, but they said to me, we came in here eight years ago and we'd only been dating for three months. And we've come since then. We've gotten married. And tonight is our last date. And last time in New York, we are moving to Portland, Oregon. And they said, we had to come here because you've been such an important part of our life for that eight years. And and I never really talked to these people, hmm. so I I find that very moving. I really do. <laughs> so, and I, I I sort of was speechless to them, except to thank them. You know, I mean, isn't that sweet? Yeah, yeah. There was a gentleman, Jack Phillips is his name, who tweeted at us and said, "I have many many fond memories of experiencing Earl Rose playing the piano." Ah. So, what's the most touching thing someone has told you? Is it what this couple said? I think it's been when I, several years ago, you make it remember, let me see if I remember this right. I remember a lady came in with her elderly father. This is a, quite a while ago. Father got sick, was in the hospital. And she actually requested me to put together a little recording of a favorite song or two of his that she could play in the hospital. So there you go. Wow. And I did it. And she said that it made him so happy. 
Wow, that's very nice. Hmm. So you don't know. You don't know when you're going to touch somebody. And you always have to just... It's, 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 it's reaching out. And even if it's not verbally, it's reaching out. You know, when anybody does something, if you can reach out to another person and, and uh, have an impact on them, it's a, I, think you're, I think you're a lucky person. Very true. I always like to close my interviews. I just give the guests the stage. Just let them take the microphone. Very open-ended. You can go anywhere you want. What would you say to anyone who's listening in? I would say that it's important in our lives to give ourselves the the privilege of doing something that we truly enjoy and really trying to find out what that is and not being afraid to go for it. I know a lot of people who are very, very wealthy who are not very happy. They haven't, they never pursued for whatever reason what their, what their real dream was. And I think it's important, really important to just try and find that. And even if your person is not sure of what that is, is not to be discouraged by that and just to keep a very, very open mind every day to their surroundings and let things in. Let as much of the surroundings that you have in your life, wherever you are, let that, let that sort of cover you and surround you. And maybe some of that will get into you and you'll find something that, that does, does the trick for you. But mainly it's not being afraid to pursue what you, what, what dreams you, you might have. Cause you, you know, you may not always get them, but if you don't try, you're for sure not going to get them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so that's, you know, that's, that, that, that pretty much, I think, what I would say. My last question Who is Earl Rose? Who is Earl Rose? Earl Rose is a, a very fortunate uh, person to have very, very good friends and part of the, the world of music. He was able to, luckily produce and play every day and wake up with a feeling of looking forward to doing that. So very lucky person. And we're very lucky to have you on the show. Thank you very much for spending time with us. My pleasure. I'm very glad you asked. Thank you so much. Been a joy. Okay. All right. Happy trails. You take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, bye. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>